Welcome to Designing Hollywood. I'm your host, Philip Boutte, and uh, thank you for joining us. Our guest today is the best kind of conundrum. Her work is so great, the moments that she has created are so memorable, and yet her work is subliminal enough that it often goes unnoticed in the best ways. She is a ghost, a costume whisperer. She finds the core root of the character to the point that the clothes allow the character to shine and steal the show. And that is a masterclass on costume design. Let's give a big hello to Miss Betsy Hyman. Hi. <laughs> How are you? Good. <laughs> um, just incredible. That reel is amazing. Um, obviously, uh, it encompasses a lot of your career highlights. Um, and I definitely think it was completely well done. So big shout out to Mr. Jason Iberly. Absolutely. Yeah. He got it. He got the humor. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to start, I always start with the boring question. So let's just get it out of the way, which is what brought you to costume design? The career was uh, suggested to me by Theoni Aldridge. I mean, come on. How, like, <laughs> okay, a costume design legend in her own right. So basically she suggested it. Or how did you guys meet? Or how did that come up across? Um, she was doing a show in Chicago where I was living at the time. And I was making one-of-a-kind garments. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the actors in the show was out shopping on the weekend and bought one of my jackets at a local boutique. And the sleeves were too long. She brought it into work. Wow. <laughs> and so then she kind of comes in and she says, who made this or whose stuff is this? And then you guys kind of started up a, a kinship from there. Mm-hmm. Now, did she ask you specifically or she was like, are you interested in costume design? Did you ever think about becoming a costume designer? Wow. Direct quote. <laughs> <laughs> and did you, what, what did you say? Did you were just like, ah, no, I don't know, like kind of. Well, no, I had never thought about yeah. it. But when she said it. Um, it just hit me upside the head. I mean, it was like, oh, my God. She's right. Yeah. I should be thinking about this. I should this. be thinking about this. So was this that a good idea. Was that beginning moment like the spark where you were just like, I should do this? Or did it happen later when like when you were experiencing it? Like, was there a moment or a spark where you were just like costume design? That's it. No, no. It was all in the moment. Because she laid it out for me. She said, you can start out as a seamstress and... You know, she laid the whole plan out for me. Wow. So you started kind of like started out as seamstress and kind of like worked your way into becoming a worked my way all the way up, yes. That's pretty incredible. I think oftentimes I find that some of the best designers are people that also kind of encompass a full process. So hats off to you for that because I think that that's also really great, especially when you get to the point where you are because then you understand all of the jobs. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's Mm -hmm. also a really great, you know, skill set to have. Mm -hmm. Now, you did tell me. You went back to school for drawing. Mm-hmm. How was that process, and where did you go? I went to Otis okay. College of Art and Design. Um, I was kicked off a job very early in my career. I mean, very early in my design career. I'd been um, worked my way up to that point where right. I actually got offered a job, but I wasn't in the union. Another conundrum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, so I had, I felt, you know, I was searching for a reason why the union was stronger than me, which is kind of a stupid thing to think. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, we always want to know why. Right. 
And I decided that it was because my drawings weren't spectacular enough to get my ideas across. And that if I had had these fantastic, beautiful drawings, that how could they ever let me go? They would be totally <laughs> mesmerized, you know. And so I went back to school to learn how to draw. I have to say, especially as an illustrator myself, I have so much respect for the fact that um, I think a lot of the times people especially when working they don't self-edit or they don't self-assess and I mm -hmm. feel like the ability to be able to see this and say you know what I need to go back and get these skills even just for yourself like yet alone like not the judgment of others just I need to go back because this is something I want to do um, also could be really inspiring for anyone that's listening in the fact that sometimes it is it's you know I think our careers artistically are all about learning, right? So we're constantly learning. Mm -hmm. And so I think sometimes, I know especially when I was a student, you look at it and you're just like, you look at someone that's, and you feel like they've got it all together, not realizing that they're doing a hell of a lot of work. And they're also very much so, they are learning consistently as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that that's really inspiring to know that you went back to school, got your illustrations together, which some of them are in your reel, yes. which they're beautiful. Thank you. Um, and so how did you, after you got that process, did you, how did you feel about, you know, coming back into work and like kind of learning this and then having that skill set with you? Did it help boost? It helped boost me, but I immediately employed my uh, teacher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my teacher at Otis had a, um, a, what do you call it, a magazine. You know, she was a sketch artist right. for print. And she gave me lots of help. You know, I would show her, okay, I'm drawing this, and then she would correct it, or she'd say, are you thinking about the perspective? Where's the light source? But, um, you know, I used it immediately, and, and um, it was good timing because I was on my way, and I, I got into the union Yes, through my very first job as a costume designer, which... Uh, by then, the the union knew me because I was banging on the door so much. Right. And they said, okay, do this movie. After you do this movie, we'll let you in. So I was like, okay, great. And I think this is also a really good time, too. I just want to kind of bring it out because you have a very special relationship with costume illustrator Gina Flanagan. Yes, I do. So that's something that, like, you guys have really worked together well um, and kind of, like, in tandem. I think that that collaboration is also one to, one of note. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Gina has, I mean, the earliest, the earliest illustrations um, are mine and some done by my teacher. Right. But um, my teacher did the Remember the Time. Ah, that's it. Okay, so we'll get to that. That's yes, awesome. Because I wanted to give John Singleton a gift. Yeah, he, oh, it's it was beautiful too. Yeah. But um yes, Gina has done every illustration that I have not done myself other than those for my entire career. But I love the fact that you illustrate yourself too because it's it's just there's it's such a visual medium and so way a way of communicating. I think that mm -hmm. that's it made you a, a stronger communicator mm -hmm. and I think that ultimately that makes you really good at your job because then you can be creative, you can communicate it, you can show it. I, I just I appreciate that so much. As we both know, not every movie needs to be illustrated. Correct. And a lot of times the director you're collaborating with may not understand an illustration and has the luxury of seeing clothes if it's a modern picture correct 
So, you know, it's been a little bit of both. A little bit of both, kind of like a hybrid situation Mm -hmm. or using what you need at the moment, Mm -hmm. which is also kind of speaks to adaptability in a way, Mm -hmm. being able to kind of just say, like, I I know you're famous for saying, like, I have more ideas. So it's like, I'm going to come up with ideas. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I think also being able to showcase those ideas is great. But I I want to jump because this is important. So you're here for a very special anniversary. I know. Tell me what it is. (laughs) It's the 20th anniversary of Almost Famous. Congratulations. Thank you. And it's so wonderful to have everybody still love the movie so much. I, I'm just so filled with contentment. Is it one of your favorites that you've done? Absolutely. Yeah. Labor of love. So is it, I think one of the things that I wanted to say in this movie specifically is it's important for our listeners to understand the design weight that this film carries. So most of the film's clothing are original designs. Um, and I want you to share that because I think that people would just look at it and assume that you just bought things. Thrifted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a tribute to Melissa Binder, mm-hmm. who was my co- uh, textile artist. And everything that we made that was new, I would bring it into Melissa and she would make it look 20, 30 years old. <laughs> right. And And the tribute to the beauty of her work is that everybody thought that this show was bought completely out of thrift shops. It's incredible. I received no design credit for this film in the public arena, nor from my peers. Because everyone just assumed. Mm-hmm. Now, you did you did source some things, but majority of the things, I think, like down to even just like, majority of the things were your custom designs. And then doing, yeah. yeah. Including runs of t-shirts. I did a run of Black Sabbath t-shirts. Wow. So they would fit right, so I could throw them out in the background. I did a run of Henleys. Lucky Brand had the old pattern. Mm-hmm. They made me like three, four hundred Henleys. I dyed them all different colors, and I threw those around, put some on my principles. Um, you know, the background costumes came a lot from thrifting up and down the coast, you know, with Seattle, San Francisco, Portland. And um, we used a lot of that on the background and the coat, you know, of course, I designed the coat. Right. And that coat ended up being something that people still ask you for, correct? Correct. Yeah. See, that's kind of like, I think one of the things is like, in, in even in my opening speech, this is the magic that I'm talking about, which is she's designed these things. Betsy's designed these things to where they feel organic and they feel real and they feel natural to the point that it's almost so subliminal that people just assume that it's not there. Now, I will say that I think that that is the best part about costume design in a way, but Mm -hmm. also one of those things where you guys need to know, like this was all original stuff. (laughs) So it's like, I want you to know, but I also want you to know that it's just that good. So um, this was something else that I wanted to talk about too, is that because of this film, you did a lot of our our mini films with director Cameron Crowe. Um, and you're known for the mantra of saying the content is in the collaboration. So how did you foster such a beautiful, beautiful collaborative process? And please walk us through how you worked together. Sure. Um, you mean starting with Jerry Maguire? Yes, please. Um, well, it was interesting. I think the turning point in solidifying our relationship was, of course, when you have a script written by Cram and Crow, you have a wonderful starting off point. Um, his characters have depth. They have weight. You kind of want to know where they yes, where were they yesterday? That's right. kind of where I start. And where are they during the time of this movie? Along with what specific costume notes are in the script? 
which you and I have talked about. Mm-hmm. Like if it says Jerry pulls a the cell phone out of his pocket, well, yeah. you better have a you pocket. You better have some pockets, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's just, you know, there's that pragmatic part of it. But I think the um, the defining moment in the longevity of my relationship with Cameron mm-hmm. was after my first fitting with Renee Zellweger. And we had talked about a certain direction, and we did the fitting. It didn't sit well with me. I don't think it sat well with Cameron either. And he, you know, I went into his office, and he was a little uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But there he was, and he was saying, you know, I wonder if I could just show you some other images of what I think might be great for Dorothy. And I said, sure. He goes, I mean, I don't want, you know, he was very, he's very humble right. and very polite person. Right. Um, and I said, listen, I'm here for you. Mm-hmm. I've got a million of I- ideas. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be afraid to tell me you don't like something. Yeah. Because then we'll just make it better. And I just saw the body language just. Just to like, like. And I just saw the bridge come over from him to me. And so that opened up the conversation. I think it's really important with your actors and with your collaborators of any kind that you allow them to feel free to speak their mind, knowing that you can take it. Right. Right. Well, that's the I think that's the key point um, of collaboration. Like you just spoke to kind of like the way that we all need to collaborate together and how it builds this bridge. Like mm-hmm. it builds the collaborative process. It builds strength. It builds um, um, rapport with your peers. Um, I think that that's the best way to be. Um, I often say, even with my own illustrations, the reason I've been able to work with so many designers is, is I don't put my ego in it. I, mm-hmm. I come to it knowing that I am ultimately mm-hmm. here for you. I'm here yes. to help you visually show your ideas. Um, now, do I participate? Sure. Like you might, if you send me a picture, you say, oh, I've got this really great piece of reference. And I'm like, ooh, that reminds me of, and then I'll send you like five images back. Like, what about right, this? Right. So it goes back and uh-huh. forth. But at the end of the day, you're completely correct, which is it's collaborative. It's mm-hmm. a very much so just like, it's a it's a back and forth. And it's also just making sure that everyone knows, like, it's completely fine. You don't like this? We'll do something else. Yes. You know? And that has repeated itself throughout my career. That seems to be a, a consistent theme, which is why mm-hmm. I think also to people, you're a go-to person that people trust. Mm-hmm. Um Let's dive into some process. Um, so walk us through, I just want to talk about just in general, like you mm-hmm. get a script or you start mm-hmm. a movie. How do you start? Do you start with mood boards? Do you start with sketches? Like where's your, where's your go-to kind of start? Conversation is okay. my leaping off point. Because when you work with a writer-director, as I've been so lucky to do, mm-hmm. I mean, Scott Frank is genius. And his characters, like cameras, leap off the page, right. fully formed, right? you know, saying, okay, so what are you going to do about me? Because here I am. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on you to help visualize <laughs> <Yeah>. me. Yes. <laughs> so conversation always. And then um, I'll do a quick research. It starts with the research, but the quick research. And I like to sit down with um, my directors and say, okay, here's like a hundred pictures. Put the yes and no pile. Give me the yes and no pile. Just throw out whatever you don't like. Mm-hmm. Keep what you like. And like ungodless. Yes. Lots of research. But I was looking for specific research of the women. Women, because the women were running the town. And, you know, there were. So um, I gave, Scott and I sat there together. And we had we came up with a pile of about, you know, 25 pictures. And mm-hmm. that was my leaping off point, then I could go deeper. 
So conversation and then research and then more conversation. So it's like almost like kind of like a back and forth dialogue between you and your director or your collaborator and then you and the script and mm -hmm. kind of like and then ultimately this dialogue that you're having back and forth in your head between yourself creatively and the character like you're yes. like in figuring yes. out that person and you know in today's world um when you don't get your actors until the very last minute yeah it's helpful to um i don't necessarily do a mood board mm -hmm. anymore right yes of course in the past for the a team they were beautiful the mood boards like they kept them at western costume because they <laughs> yeah. the images were the references were so they were cool yeah. those were cool guys yeah you know but um, I'm able to, like, send a few pictures to an actor to say, this is the direction I'm going in, knowing who they are, because that plays a big part in what the costume's going to be. Do you find that when you have the dialogue, like, because um, it definitely plays a part, and I've, I've heard this kind of echoed with some of your peers, I think, in terms of, do you find that once the actor is cast, you, you make adjustments? So you start saying, like, because it's this person, this might be a bit too much or too little. I never even pick anything out. That's why I say it's Aha. just a broad, it's reference a broad reference of photographs until, I mean, with Godless, which, you know, we can get to that later, mm -hmm. you know, um, the second part of my career, how I, you know, got in the union and all of that, yeah. maybe today, maybe another time. But um, I had very good training in Westerns from Luster Bayless. Ah, oh, that's incredible, too. <laughs> yeah. You know, I started out as a seamstress. And I went to lunch across the street one day, and I met Luster, who was also waiting for a table, and I was waiting for a table with one of the crew guys. Mm -hmm. And Luster came over to the set because I said to him, I got to go back and dress the dancers. I had made the leap from sewing the costumes to dressing. To dressing. Okay, I got it. And he came over and he said, I never saw anybody be so intent on getting back to work on time. I think, you know, come with me. I'm doing a movie. Wow. I, I want you to be the dresser for the leading lady, uh -huh. and I'll get you in the union. That's amazing. But, so Godless was a real homecoming to me. I think a lot of people know that, and it was a bit of an homage to Luster. That's credible. Because he was the king of the Westerns. So it was like a full circle moment mm -hmm. for you where you felt like, okay, I'm yeah. settling into my own show and then kind of paying homage to him. With everything else that I'd learned along the way. So I was able to send photographs to all these different actors that mm -hmm. we had, like number 438 on the... On the... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, what? Um, but when they... And then they... they So they would come in the room kind of having a feeling. Yeah. You know? Um, and... And then when they would come in, I would have like a table of maybe 15, 20 hats. And I'd start with the hat. You know, so for like me... Them, is, I, it, is it mm -hmm. them picking what's comfortable? Or are you saying like, try this one? Are you just trying them? Well, there's a hat for every character, just right. like there's a hat for every man. Correct. And, you know, when you put the hat on the man, it can define... Or the woman, it defines the rest of their character. Um so I don't know how we got there, but yes. No, so it's wonderful. a little bit. It's a bit like boards, my boards, yeah. and then I'm able to send that reference. But I never commit to anything until you. The have. interesting thing is, like sometimes, um, you'll do a film and you'll think, "Oh, I really want the lead guy to wear a leather jacket." You know, this right. is a leather jacket guy, but the guy, the guy they cast can't. But the leather jacket is in the movie. It right. is. It, it's a part of the film. It's just not where you saw it. It's not it. where you saw it to be. Mm -hmm. That's you also really You have to really stay open to that. Yeah. 
that's a cool thing too because you're like again it's being adaptable but you're also using your creativity to like have that dialogue with the character be like it speaks to this person or it doesn't or also i think the the pullback knowing when you're just like yeah that doesn't it doesn't work and like not being like sold on it um or like wanting it so badly that you put it where it doesn't belong i think mm-hmm. that that's a really awesome trait to have yeah and it's also for for myself as a person, a real aha moment. Oh my God, he's going to wear the leather right. jacket. Yeah, like, you know, then it I'm was like, for you. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, we were talking about process. And so mm-hmm. um, the one of the processes that I had been most interested in, you know, for a long time since I was a teenager was uh, Quentin Tarantino. Mm. And so you, um, I, I remember wanting to work and you actually, you're now knowing your work, you inspired a lot of what I loved about you know, wanting to work with Quentin. So it's uh, completely. um, And I did get a chance to do that um, uh, with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with Ariane. Uh Um, So that process, I want to know how that process was for you, especially because you did what I like to call, I'm going to read it because I'll I'll get it wrong because it's a tongue twister. You did uh, the quintessential Quentin films. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. I like it. These are the ones that when you say Quentin Tarantino, these are the films that people think Mm -hmm. about. So kind of talk to me about how you guys worked together. Well, um, we had a good time uh, for Reservoir Dogs. We met at the Denny's on Hollywood Boulevard. Okay. And we did the movie visually together, sitting there beat by beat. And then we went back to his apartment and we watched uh, some research videos because he's the video. Uh-huh. He knows it all. He's so smart. This was his first film. so he And he was full of incredible energy, very contagious, um, very inspiring. And um, we looked at these movies and then we talked some more. Yeah. And, it's, that I will say that hasn't changed. Um, I think that uh, I love I love the fact that you were talking about like the energy that he provides because that was something that I was really excited about and I experienced watching him. He's so excited about film. He's so knowledgeable. He really makes you feel like you like you want to make the movie like mm-hmm. you and you want to be excited. Mm-hmm. Um, I had no no real instance in, inferences or kind of thought processes about like the genre of the like you know the time period of the 60s um and he had every week for the crew he had in his theater he would show uh screenings of the films that he watched to write the film Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that really gave me an edge it just made everybody feel a part of it so you felt like the entire crew was being brought along for the Mm -hmm, ride as opposed mm -hmm. to it being disjointed Mm -hmm. um so it sounds like that was the birth of that that same spark was there and I, I love that. And the fact that you guys were able to go sitting at Denny's is a very Quentin thing to do. Yes. And then just talking about yes. film. We talked about it and we worked out of a warehouse. I think it was, I get the two films confused a little bit mm-hmm. in terms of those, those details. Um, we worked out of a warehouse, I think it was in Culver City. Mm-hmm. And he was there and we were there. We were all there. All the people working on the film could just each go into their own area or bring so their area to you or you would go to their area. And he would pop his head in for the fittings. He wasn't um, – once we had this talk and mm-hmm. I suggested the black suits because he kept showing me – I mean, you've heard this story. He kept showing me all of the new wave movies. And there was always Alan DeLon, and he was always in a suit. And they mm-hmm. were always in a courtroom, and there was all these guys in suits. And so I said, okay. And Quentin had said to me, you know, these guys are just out of jail, and they um, you know, they want to be anonymous. And I said, well, it's very easy to go to the thrift store and get yourself a suit. 
And that's where that that's where that look came from. So going to the thrift store. So you thought it through. You said mm-hmm. you want to be anonymous. You don't have much money. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go to the thrift store and I'm going to get myself a suit so I can just kind of mm-hmm. fly under the radar. Now, the question becomes is there was uh, some visual trickery that happened with mm-hmm. those. Yes, there was. So like explain <laughs> that and talk about it because part of it was creative, you being creative, and mm-hmm. part of it was just financial. budgetary, like financial budgetary. Necessity, so. <laughs> the mother of invention. Tell us about that story. Um, well, I had $10,000 to do the home movie oh my God. <laughs> my, for costumes. Wow. That's... You know, it's a great movie for a million dollars on everybody's part, right. most, of course, Quentin's part. Yeah. But um, so I knew I would need multiples. I think that was something you were curious about, mm-hmm. the blood. Yes. I knew that um, – and we really could only afford four. And so we always kept one clean. Mm-hmm. But anyway, in the search for these multiples – I um they weren't all wearing a suit to start with. And I don't know if you were there the night that Quentin talked about the black jeans at the costume designers. Called. Yes, I was. Yes. Yes. So uh Steve Buscemi and Tim Roth were wearing black jeans mm-hmm. and like uh, Chelsea boots. Mm-hmm. And then I found this like cash at American Rag on okay. Rea, when it was a thrift store. Right. Before it was, you know, high fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were about eight or ten or twelve of these, like, beetle jackets, but plain navy jackets. Mm-hmm. And some were dark gray, some were navy, and some were black. Okay. So I bought one of each, and I went to see Andre Sakua, our cinematographer. I said, okay, Andre, look at these. Is this black? Are they all going to photograph black? Which of these can I use that will all photograph black? And he said, you can use them all. That's incredible. See, that's something I think um, I was really kind of blown away by that because you think about these things, but you were being conscious and then you also were being creative, which that required a lot of foresight because a lot of people wouldn't think that they would be stressing out about like, I must find black. But you were like, no, there's a there's a whole nother element. It's here. The which way is the way things right, photograph. It's how it photographs. Yeah. Well, that's an important part for. All costume designers, red alert, how it photographs. (laughs) So she basically took and realized that these things could photograph black and it wouldn't matter, which also then allowed her to find stock with these different colors that would all read as iconically black, which is what we're all used to. And all the the photography, the promo, everything, it's just these black suits. But it's really interesting to know that they weren't all the same. No, they were not suits. And it's like even even Quentin questioned the black jeans. Yes. And I said, trust me. Trust me. Yes. <laughs> it's going to look like it's, it's And, you know, I think we have a, made a big influence on fashion in the sense of the narrow suit for men because of that particular silhouette of all the men. Right. And they were the only one who had a whole suit on that matched. Harvey Keitel had a suit. Mm-hmm. And um, I think Quentin's suit I found balled up in a, He didn't need multiples. Because he's just in the, yeah, in the, just, in the beginning. Yeah, right. I found that downtown L.A. on a shelf in one of those jobber places, like <laughs> folded up in the corner. I went, okay, he can wear this. He can wear this one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they were all different. And I will say that each guy had a different shirt with a different collar length and spread to per, as was a good proportion for their neck. Right. Okay. As was the width of their tie in proportion to the collar and the width of their chest. So what I'm hearing is is I, I want you guys to all pay attention to how many details she just described and how 
if you watch it, you're probably not paying attention to the fact that all of those things were subtle and different, but they all went together. That's what I'm talking about, about the subliminal aspect of her job, which is she does it so well, is it got the point across. It solved the problem. Like there were pockets, like it solved the problem of like of the script and what it is. But she found a really interesting way to do it and a creative way to do it and also accommodate everybody's body types and different, you know, proportions. Um, so there's a lot of work in there. And I think that that's something that I often try to draw attention to, especially when interviewing and talking to designers is I want people to recognize that there's a ton, there's a hell of a lot of work that's going into this that you don't pay attention to. Mm -hmm. Um, And so these are things that she thought about. And then visually, when it comes to you, you just kind of see it and you take it in, but maybe from a different point that's not as specific. So kudos to you for that. I think that that was really, really smart. (laughs) Um, And I think I want to transition to, because there's one other question I want to ask in the Tarantino sphere, which is Mia Wallace. Mm. So Uma Thurman's character from Pulp Fiction has such an iconic costume that people still dress up as now. Um, Is there a story about how you layered her or how you Mm -hmm. thought about getting her look correct? Mm -hmm. Well, I discuss again with Quentin. Mm -hmm. We did Pulp Fiction at Barney's Beanery. (laughs) Would you like to know (laughs) the history? And I said, I think that Jules and Vincent should be reservoir dogs. And he went, right. So so with that thought in mind, you know, and they're connected because, you know, the Michael Madsen character is John Travolta's character's brother right. in the lore of these two films and the and the and the other one that Tony Scott directed there. That's like a trilogy. That's amazing. Um, So I thought about it and I thought, here's Mia. She's she's married to the boss. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have that much fun being married to the boss isn't all it's cut out to be. Right. It's kind of put her in a little bit of a corner. She, you know, isn't can't get out without making him angry. So I thought, well, if he asks Vincent to take care of her, she doesn't want Vincent to think, ooh, I don't want to have to go out with the boss's wife. And, oh, my God, that's going to be like a really boring, sticky, very, very sticky situation. Right, where it's you know? okay. So she says, I'm going to dress like a reservoir dog. I'm going to show them that deep inside of me, I'm as wild and crazy as they are. And she go, we, I know because I've read the script that she goes on to prove that to be true. Right. So I know because I've read the script. Right. That she's going to have to have her shirt ripped open and be injected. Right. So I thought, where's the real girl? You know? Which is underneath mm-hmm. what she's putting on. Mm-hmm. So then is that the, the choice of the top? And yeah, it's like a little in? handkerchief, like yeah. a gang, like a, like an old West bandana. Yeah. Bondeau. <laughs> little corset. Little, it was a little Bondeau. T- it wasn't a Bondeau. It was like, what do you call that? When it's just, it comes to, you know, just below the just chest. Just below the chest, yeah. right. And it hooks up the front. It was like a mini corset, Bondeau top. But I, I loved that it was like a hanky. See, that layer, that's interesting to say, too, like kind of thinking about it in the way because it's like that layer is so um, unexpected. It's like especially because she's dressed up and as she strips down more and more, it feels like you're getting more to the core root of who she actually is. And I think that, again, it's those little thought processes that kind of make sense. And like ultimately, um, I think when thinking about design, 
one of the things that I really love too is that each person is different. So someone else would have had a different take, but mm -hmm. I, I think that your take on it, when you get there and you figure out the, the methodology behind it, it's just so unique and special. And I think that it's something that people would be like, that's just so cool. I also want to say, I love the fact that she's so unique, like her hair, like everything, her hairstyle of the way she dresses everything. And yet she never feels, um, like overly like a character, you believe her to be a real person. And I think that that's a, a testament to the clothing as well. Right, right, and to Quentin's desire for that hair. Right. Oh, so it's, it's like very much so it must be. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and and also her wearing John Travolta's coat. Yes. Um, that was another layer. And, of course, having read the script, mm -hmm. I knew she was going to be dancing around with him. And I liked the idea of this oversized coat on her, like Moving. flailing about because she was out of it. You know, and the whole thing was like loosey-goosey. Yeah. So that was her third layer. I love it. I was like that. And I love that because I just learned some new stuff, which I, I didn't know before. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> I did. Um, Theoni, you have Theoni as an influence for getting into the business, which we talked about, which is already incredible enough as it is. Um, but then do you have personally any other like um, other influences or like do you look at things visually or how do you, mm -hmm. you know? Well, you know, she suggested that to me and I just went for it. I literally I had gone to school. I'd gone to CalArts mm -hmm. in L.A. And so I just moved back to L.A. to pursue this career. I, you know, was like but as time went by, even in the moments after, the days after she first suggested it to me, I realized that my memories are all visual. Okay. I wasn't somebody that, like, I don't hear the screech of the car. I see the big brown Oldsmobile ah, coming so like to a screeching seeing... halt, you Got know. It. I see my dad in a burgundy paisley dressing gown holding a or glass of orange juice that was so orange next to the burgundy. These... I realized were my memories and that, oh, thank God somebody had come along and pointed me in the right direction. So vis visual, all visual. So all like, visual. Do you find it almost feels like being like in a, in a dream sequence a little bit? Like when you're thinking about it, or it's yeah. like a, a vivid memory. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I dream in color yeah. for sure. And then I do remember, I think I had started just working as, by the way, working as a seamstress meant Okay. My first job was sewing, uh, what do you call them, um, upholstery fabric to fit over the machines they used to photograph Star Trek. Oh. <laughs> slip covers. The yeah. slip covers. The slip covers to protect. But I do remember <laughs> that around, um, I think I remembered that image of, in Lawrence of Arabia, there's a tiny black speck. Um, Laurence is looking out over the, over the desert, and it's tiny. It's black, tiny black thing, and it gets larger and larger and larger and larger. And it's Omar Sharif in this fabulous black, on the black horse with the tassels on mm -hmm. the horse and the tassels on his headdress. And I went, oh, oh. That. You can make a big impression. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just something about that that kind of – it was somewhere along the way after she said that to me that I went, huh, yeah, I, I'm into this. It's an, and it honed, time, and it, and you know? then you realized it was there and that you'd been yeah. honing in. It's like 
I like in that I, I was thinking about what you were talking about and just thinking about how it kind of fit together. And I liken it to like when children are learning and you find the way your child learns mm -hmm. as opposed to how other people learn, because I think that that's important. So it's like some people learn, learn visual, some people are audio. Um, I remember being a complete visual learner. And until I learned that I was a visual learner, um, I would falter at things that were audio, you know, like where like someone would repeat something that would never stick. But if I read it or if I saw it, I could remember. Same. So as I went to school, then I was just like, oh, even studying for tests, I realized I must see it in order to retain it. And then often um, I think that it's gotten worse as I've gotten older, mm -hmm. um, which is now um, I'm horrible at that. Uh, I remember like uh, when my daughter was little. And we would try to do the thing where we would spell stuff so that she wouldn't know what it was because she couldn't. <laughs> but but it was horrible. My wife would get mad at me because she would verbally say something. And then I was having trouble keeping up with what she was spelling because whenever she says oh. a letter, I visually see it in my head. Oh, wow. So I'm trying to keep the visuals together, but the audio is going in one ear and out the other. So like So it's an interesting yeah, thing. So I think once she honed that in for you, then you say... Oh, yeah, that's been there the whole time. Like, I don't hear my mother, like, saying whatever, but I yeah. do see what she was wearing. Or I, I see do her see... in a black cocktail dress yeah. on a black slate floor <laughs> with a pearl choker crying. See see that visual? That visual. Like, that's the thing. That's I think. what I see. It was there. It was there the whole time. That's right. <laughs> so much detail. You know, and lucky me. Yeah. It's a skill. And then I realized I had been preparing for it. My whole life in the sense that I asked my mom for a sewing machine when I was 12. And she thought, what is your problem? Yeah, like, what do you want to do? And then my grandfather was furious with me when he found out that I was working, you know, as a seamstress working my way up. And he said to me, I didn't come to this country for you to sit behind a sewing machine like five generations of our family have done. Wow. <laughs> I was like, I'm just looking like, I was just like, and I was just like, okay, yeah. And I said, wait, Grandpa, just wait, just wait. And were you able to? Yeah, he, he lasted long enough. He was so proud. Good. Oh. That makes me super happy. I was about to say, please tell me but that I he got no to see no idea. It. I didn't know I was a fifth generation seamstress. Right. Who was good? They don't talk about yeah, that. No, they just, don't want to talk about well, that. Well, because they're like, now we're here. <laughs> yeah. You know. So I think that that, but that's also kind of, it's been built in the whole time. And yes, I like and, it's and an she came out of no, I mean, it's just a confluence of events right. that just happened that I would, you know, just, I don't know, it was crazy. Sometimes I think about it on a, on a, uh, a spiritual level, I constantly feel like we are who we are and it's the experiences that shape you into like, mm -hmm. like, but it's like you from the beginning, that spark or whatever that was that was in you was there the entire time. Yes. And then little things bring it out and kind of shift and move it to where it yeah. needs to be. Um, okay. So let me shift for a little bit. Yes, absolutely. I need you to allow me to be a kid and kind of a nerd for a second. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm a product of the eighties. Okay. Okay. I'm an eighties Which is kid. when my career started I didn't start this career till 78. Okay, so see, so it was like pretty yeah. much I'm I'm going to date. I'm, I'm born in 81. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of things mm -hmm. that I watch. Right? It's like, not it's really, okay. <laughs> I'm born in 81. So there's a lot of things that you did that literally shaped, you know, how I kind of took in the world. Um, and so I, I want to talk to you about a few of these projects just because they were exciting for me. The first one is 
you're credited for designing the first iteration of Pee Wee Pee Wee Herman. Mm -hmm. So there was this was the Pee Wee Herman um, live show, the live show, and that show ended up turning into mm -hmm. the kids show. Mm -hmm. So how was that experience? Well, I was also the producer of that. Show. Oh my gosh! See, I didn't know that either. So that's that's incredible. I um. So what is your question? My question is just, <laughs> just like, how was that process? I remember, or, or or what was it like to kind of like, did you come up with the, the overall? Miss Yvonne. Like yeah, Miss yes. Yvonne and the suit and Captain all that Carl. stuff. Captain Carl. No, the suit is his. The suit's his. Okay. Okay. He, I saw him do 10 minutes of stand-up at okay. the Groundlings Theater in that suit. And visually, I literally saw dollar signs dancing <laughs> all around Right. It's head. like, this is right it. Right then. Yeah. Right. And I met him after mm -hmm. and said, I think you're going to make a lot of money. And I'm like, here's my crystal ball. You're like, here. <laughs> and now let me read your poem. No. But um, I said, I think you're going to make a lot of money. He goes, well, that's so interesting because I have a show I'd like to do and nobody gets it. And I said, I have a friend who's producing little shows on Melrose, like at the Matrix Theater. Mm -hmm. She looked at, she read it. What are you, nuts? What is this? I don't even get it. Right. That's always the best thing, So by he the way. suggested to me that I produce it because mm -hmm. I understood it. And he said, all you have to do is like be like more like a line producer, production manager. I have a creative person that works with me. Mm -hmm. So it was fun. I got it. He said, you get it. Why won't you do it? So um, it was great. Uh, I think that Aardvark supplied that dress for Miss Yvonne. Okay. Captain Carl, I think, you know, we grabbed something from here and something from the Hermit Hattie. We just, it was all thrifted. That was all thrifted. That was, was all thrifted. No, there was no making of anything. We didn't have any money. I, I honestly, it's just, it's such a fond memory for me just growing up and watching it because it was like you'd get up in the morning, it would be on, and mm -hmm. then like there was the word of the day. Like it's just right. so many little things in there that were just yes. so fun. And I think that, um, Again, I'll say the best ideas are usually the ones that people don't get. And it's like it just takes that one person mm -hmm. to be like, I completely get this and we're going to do it. And so thank you for oh, <laughs> providing welcome. that. Because you're welcome. Well, we were lucky. We um, we had, we borrowed $8,000 from his parents to do that whole show. Mm -hmm. And eventually we got to the point where I was able to pay everybody some money. And then um, I sold it to Home Box Office for $150,000 and went it was an actor strike, so I went back to my job after that. Wow, it's just like that's incredible, but it's like kind of like just dropping it off and saying like, "I get this, here it goes," and then just watch it grow. Mm -hmm. Now there's another one, uh -oh. which is I know there's <laughs> another one. This one actually, so sorry, mom and dad. I'm just gonna say this. I don't know if they ever know this, but I used to sneak and watch Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Oh come on, you're killing <laughs> me. <laughs> when, when I was little, because it was just one of those things that was just drawn to it. Now I didn't get all the jokes. Obviously, I got them later, which was made it even more fun. But where did how did that come about for you? Like, and then also like infusing her with like the style that you did and things like that. Like, how did that come? About? Well, I didn't have anything to do with Elvira other than the movie. Then, the, well, that's what I mean. The, the actual the Mistress of the Dark, because that's when you had like you were adding stuff. To her character right, and all that. Like, right. how did that come about? Um, are you going to show the picture of Elvira yes. painting the house? Okay. Um, the director was a friend of mine. Okay. So, uh, the most important lesson I learned from that movie, and at that point, um, we made everything. I mean, that was uh, J&M Costumes, mm -hmm. where I had started. Okay. After I moved on from slipcovers to J&M Costumes. Um, and I went back there when I needed an Elvira dress. They made the dress and uh, and anything else that I made for that show. But um, I think we discussed this, that what I learned from designing this picture 
was don't put the details on the bottom. Yes. Oh, that's right. So this is when you learned, like, it's like your main... A lot Focal of details point. got lost because they were, you know, where her leg would come out right. and where things would happen. But it's about uh, keeping keeping what you want to be sure people are going to see from the waist up. And particularly not interfering with the close-up. You don't want to cut somebody off in an awkward place, right. which is why I'm not a big jewelry person. Okay. Because it's like you feel like it starts to add a bit. Yeah, I think um, I think that that lesson is also a lesson that everyone learns. I mean, that they still costume designers teach us that lesson now, still, especially like I'm doing a lot of superhero stuff mm -hmm. with budgets and times and all of that. You really have to make sure your central focus in your right detail. No. You have to make sure that your central your central focus of the detail is in the the middle. You know. Um, let me see what's up for a second. I just thought that we were going to do the painting. Yeah, no, ones. it should be there. There's a sketch. We'll just edit out this little. Yeah, that's fine. We should just wait for it yeah. a minute because otherwise it'll won't link up. Mm -hmm. Well, at least you got to see the whole frame here. Yeah, no, that's good. <laughs> Can I take a drink? Yeah, no, 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 please. Actually, I'm going to join you. It's that dragon drink. What is that exactly? It's called pink drink. I don't know what it is. I just know it, it turns pink because it's got coconut milk in it. Mm -hmm. So it's, I think it's like the refresher, the strawberry one, and they put coconut the milk in it. Right? Yes. yes. Okay. Coming up. Mm -mm -mm. Oh, my God. I have to go back and watch this again. I remember that. Dog. It's so bad. No, don't go back and <laughs> just, watch it. Just let it stay in my memory. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> I just remember like being like, because it would always be on too around Halloween time, and then oh, you'd yeah. watch it, and it was like kitschy and fun. And... Yeah. Okay, we're almost done, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Am I doing okay? You're doing. You're doing great. Yes. There she there is. There it is. Yes. See, there's all the detail. Okay. So, okay. Let's look. Yes. Okay. All right. So I'm gonna go back into. Okay, so right. you're watching Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Yeah, so watching it, um, we were talking about, like, and here's a, we've got a sketch up. So we've got a sketch up of Elvira now. Um, this is drawn by you, and this is her <laughs> painting the house. So what were you thinking about when you were designing this? Elvira. She, yeah, painting she, her house. Painting yeah. her house. <laughs> she couldn't do it in a dress, so she had to have some pants. She had to have some pants, but then you're adding the details. But the top showing... was pretty much the same. Right. But just with pants. Yeah, just with pants on. I think that this was like this is kind of a testament too of trying to kind of figure out like what does Elvira wear to paint her house and then I think it's kind of an interesting uh, a challenge. I do enjoy again seeing your sketches. I, oh, I thank enjoy you. seeing the thought process. And did you end up making this? Yes. The way that oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, with little conchos. Yeah. Up the sides. <laughs> now, do you see those in the film? I think you might. I'm not. I don't remember. Yeah, like this is like. I was like, well, maybe I'll go back and watch. Somebody or, might be yeah. walking up to the house, <laughs> in which case you would see them otherwise, you know. Okay, now there's another one. This one's huge for me, which is Remember the Time by Michael Jackson, one of yeah. my favorite videos of all time. Um, absolutely incredible. Um, and I remember, this is something I do remember. I remember um, my family used to always go, especially on Fridays, we would go and get like 
everyone's favorite food and we would sit down and we would watch something. Now, remember the time, I don't remember if it was on that date, but I remember it. What you were right. Yeah, I remember it debuting, like, it was like full-blown mm-hmm. prime time at like eight or nine o'clock yes. or something like that. And we all gathered around and we watched this video and my parents were dancing and everyone was super excited and we we're eating food. And I just remember it being like an event. Wow, you know, I have completely forgot that, yeah, but you're right. I remember it being a complete event and it just was something that I grew up. And then you got used to them. Like by the time Michael did uh, Scream with Janet, that was another one where it was like, okay, mm-hmm. they teamed up. Let's watch it again. So remember the time was definitely like I have a fond memory. And same thing, visual. I mean, I can watch the video, but I remember mm-hmm. sitting in the living room with my parents and it was like a memory of just watching this mm-hmm. unfold mm-hmm. and watching the costumes and mm-hmm. saying like, wow, they're Egyptian and everything's cool. And look at Amon. She looks so beautiful. Like all of those things. So how did that project come about for you? And what was it like even just being on set or like or, or uh, also approaching costumes that you knew had to move and dance and all that? Well, again, it was a... Um, a repeat collaboration mm-hmm. with the producer. Okay. And he brought me in um, at that time. So that's how I got involved. And um, it was so much fun. I just, um, well, Iman also was a repeat collaboration. I did a movie with that she was in called Surrender Ah. Uh, with uh, Sally Field and Michael Caine. And so it was nice to see her again. Mm-hmm. And um, she was dating David, David Bowie, Bowie. on Surrender, but she was now married to him. Okay. And he was there. Ah. And one, <laughs> and one day, I'll just tell you, I was sitting at the monitor watching, and there was a gentleman sitting next to me, and uh, he made some comment about the costumes, and I turned around to look to look at him and gave him the answer, and I was looking at David Bowie. Oh, my god! <laughs> and it completely freaked me out. <laughs> <laughs> But it was very nice. That's um, what I heard, too. So I got, I I, I don't, you know, um, I did the research. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the same old story, yeah. I have to tell you. I did the research. I tried to figure out. Now, um, I did not do Michael. Yes, yes. We all know that, yes. right? Okay, good. And uh, once I got into the swing of it, what, I, your first Iman, because mm-hmm. the Nefertiti uh, research is easier to find. Right. And again, I went back to J&M Costumes because mm-hmm. they, you know, they were fan. They made the hats. They did all that for me. And um, I believe that the necklace on Eddie, you know, at that time, Paramount was still, uh, had still had a big wardrobe department. Okay. And I used to do days there, mm-hmm. you know, to get my to union, get union hours. hours. Right. And I found the cache of the Ten Commandments. Oh, so that actually... And I remembered that it was there, the jewelry. I remembered that that was there. So I ran back there and I got a lot of the jewelry. So did you do, did you uh, grab, like, in these in terms of, like, did you grab jewelry and then design around, like, with the color palettes and stuff around, like, with your fabrics and stuff? Or were you Probably kind of doing... intuitively, but yeah, not, spe- not, not, not intentionally. Got it. Okay. Yeah, it's just, it's such a, it, it was such a beautiful thing. And also, too, just seeing the opulence and the royalty of it, the whole thing was well done. So. It was so much fun. I mean, at that time also, you could walk down Hollywood Boulevard. You know, that was such a resource. Go into, I got all the wigs for the dancers, all from a wig shop. Wow. On Hollywood Boulevard. And they were already had the dress. And they and, already had all the stuff in there. That's incredible. Yeah. And for, inexpensively. Yeah. You know? So you're just saying like, okay, here's our wigs, here's this. Yeah. And then how were you doing the, um, were there any like little tricks or things that you were doing for just to make sure that the costumes moved correctly? Or well, like... I had to go to a lot of rehearsals. Okay. So you were and, going to the rehearsals and And watching. work with the choreographer. And then, you know, you have to, pro- when you do this sort of thing, you provide them with a dance skirt and, a, you know, 
the dancers. So you were giving them like rehearsal costumes that yes. they could rehearse in so that they got used to the weight and the feel so that when they came to perform, then they were ready. Yes, basically. and then we I think we had three days of shooting, and each day we wrapped those girl dancers in those wraps. Wow. You know, we put them yeah. in the muslin pants, and then we did the wraps That's every incredible. day. Yeah. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that with me because that is a fond memory. Yeah. Um, and so I saw that. And that's actually like I kind of last minute added that in. I was like, wait, what? Remember the time? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> and remember see, way back then. <laughs> and these are, I know they're little things. It's like ultimately I know I could ask you about all of these things, but this was just something that I just like, these are fun things to just, Yeah, you and know. each one brings a fun memory back to me, which I don't know if they're appropriate or not, but I'm sharing some of <laughs> no, them. No, <laughs> please. I think, and I think the last one that I'll give you, which is something. Mm-hmm. Thing that one of the fins that I like, um, and I, I know you like this one too, is Out of Sight. Mm, my favorite. So that's I would like, say after Almost Famous, that's my favorite. That's your favorite. Mm-hmm. So what did you like about working on Out of Sight? Like how the oh, process, like just such great characters. Yeah, that's Scott Frank. Yes. So this is get shorty, right? Out of sight. I mean, my relationship with Scott Frank goes back to the time when he was a writer. So it's just even just being able to see that kind of blossom and grow and seeing these I characters. I mean, the jump characters off the page. are so inspiring. And <clears throat> in those days, I would call the writer. Now it's kind of taboo. You know? Yeah. Like, oh, no, no, they're doing no, the, no, Yeah. No, right. <laughs> but I would call them. And I even had conversations. I had a conversation with Dutch, with Elmore Leonard, Leonard mm-hmm. when we were doing Get Shorty. We were outside the house where John Travolta and Renee Russo are going to go in to talk to Danny DeVito. And he was there that day, Elmore mm-hmm. Leonard. And I said, oh, hi, and thanks so much, and da-da-da. And we had already had previous conversations because, well, that's another story. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But um, he told me he was working on this story about a bounty hunter. He was writing another book. But he was having a problem because the kind of character he wanted her to be didn't exist in real life, that he had met some real bounty hunters, and they were just, you know, like policemen. Yeah, like they're like, yeah. You know, and so... I already had had that kernel from him. And then you read the script, the adaptation by Scott Frank. So that came to me from Stacey Scher, who was the producer of Pulp Fiction. Mm -hmm. I mean, Stacey has been very instrumental to my career. When you look at that legacy reel, a lot of the stuff that's not from Cameron um, is from Stacey or Scott Frank. I mean, it just, she has been very kind to, and she introduced me to Steve Soderbergh, and mm-hmm. he said, okay, she can do it. So see, this you is know? another thing, too. And t- talking about a testament, when you guys think about or when you're when you're looking at a designer that's had a prolific career, one of the things that continues to come up, especially with Betsy, is her the strength of collaboration, but also the fact that she is almost like, it's like if, if she's a business, she has repeat business, which is basically people trusting her, understanding that she works well together, that she's bridging the gap between collaboration and kind of communication. So these are all things that I'm seeing along the way that have, like you said, have been instrumental to pushing forward, but also just a testament to you and how you work with people, which I think is really yeah. important. Yeah, and her trust that I could get along with whoever she put me in the room with, and she was calling the shots, so unless they really hated me, they were going to say yes to her. That's <clears> And <throat> see, that's a huge one. Um, I will say, just to back you up with that, is um, it's it's knowing... 
especially when people are trying to do something, they sometimes will get very tunnel vision and think only about the creative side. So it's like, I got to be the best designer I can be. But a lot of it is also your personality and how you treat people or how you talk to people or how you communicate with people. So that's another testament to you as well, is just, mm-hmm. just that you're able to get in the room, you're able to get along with people, you can calm them, you can make them feel comfortable enough to be creative. Because I think when you're stressed, when you have anxiety, when you're not sure what's going on, it really does block your creativity. So you need someone to come in, especially the costume designer is a very intimate relationship with the actors and everything else, to be able to calm you down and be like, let's figure this out. Let's try and figure out, like, who is this person? And I think that that's great. Yeah. Okay, so then I would say, let's go, let's move. Your next film is called The Tomorrow War. Yes. Your upcoming film. Can you share anything about it? Um, It's a near future story about a man who goes to the future to try to solve the problems of the present. And I will say my friend Edwin Hodge who's an actor, um, he's in this film. So I'm just going to say shout out to Edwin. Very proud of him. Shout out to Edwin. (laughs) Shout out to Edwin. Um, And to Chris McKay, our director, who I absolutely adore. So excited to have found another collaborator at this point in my career that I hope to do many, many films with. I love that. And and when do when does this film come out, or when should well, it be? Ho, 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 yeah, okay. That's a horrible. Ha, ha, qu- Sorry, ha. that's a horrible question to ask right now. Well, hopefully July <laughs> next July. July. Okay. We were going to come out at Christmas, but it's given us some more time because it's um a little science fiction and um and and delightful Chris Pratt. So delightful. Mr. Chris Pratt. Oh, my God. <laughs> what, a, what a gentleman. What a lovely guy. Wonderful. So that's all I can tell you about it. Okay, that's fine. We will, we will check back in with that. <laughs> and lastly, I want to ask you just to impart, what can you leave with listeners that are wanting to do this job? Do you have any piece of advice or anything that you want to tell them? Listen to all the information that's around you to find your way in. And be flexible. Don't bang on the door too hard because there might be a monster on the other side. (laughs) I want you guys to take that in. Make sure you listen. It's right there, right from Betsy herself. Thank you, Betsy, so much for joining us. pleasure. Thank you. It's so fun to be with you. (laughs) Same here. Had a really good time, and I learned a lot. Uh Um, I want to thank her. I want to thank Betsy for being here, and I also want to thank our sponsors. I want to thank Eddie at Ragvan Rentals. And I want to give a shout out to Miss Marilyn Vance for her platform of designing Hollywood. Um, So thank you very much. I want to also tell you if you want to keep up with Betsy, she's on Instagram at at Betsy Hyman, which is B-E-T-S-Y-H-E-I-M-A-N-N. See, I can even even reading it visually for myself. I'm just I'm seeing all the words as go along (laughs) or the letters. Um, and her website is www.betsyhyman.com. And you can find me and on Instagram at Phil underscore Boutte. So thank you guys for joining us and come back again. Thank you, Betsy. I would love to. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>